The world's greatest popularity contest is over again for another year. And Lionel Messi has won it again. Seriously, what a joke. Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Eric Ten Hag must be starting to question himself. Messi wins his 8th Ballon d'Or and Saudi Arabia have all but been signed off as hosts of the 2034 World Cup Finals. My name's Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by David Bugle and Neil Dobson to BigKickoff.com. And Dave, Messi wins it again. Did he deserve it? Uh, if you look at it as its literal form over the whole year, you they know, but as soon as he won the cup, as soon as they won the World Cup, you kind of knew it was only going to go one way. Um, if you do it over the course of the whole season, uh, obviously, Mr. Haaland, I think that definitely fully deserves it, and I think that's where it should go. But look, Lewandowski should have won it a couple of years ago as well, and it's become the Messi Ronaldo show. They need to keep the, the 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 award ceremony relevant. They've made it too big, to be honest, and it's a big show now, and all these celebrities come to it, so you need to try and keep flogging that dead horse in my opinion like it, it, it's an honourable award for somebody but at least make it more realistic and give it to people who, who, are, who are deserving it's become a it's become a bit of a farce over their last eight, well maybe over the last eight, six to eight years with the two lads like probably getting it a couple of more times than they shouldn't have yeah um, but they probably deserved it they probably deserved it most of those times in all fairness they, yeah. they had the statistics for the goals they were scoring was just out of this world wasn't it yeah, and but it just became the norm that either one or the other got it. So it's like whichever one did better that season, and of course once Messi won the World Cup this year, that's why he was always going to get it. But mm. like there'd be a solid case for why Haaland should have got it over the course of the whole season. Uh, he's been he was phenomenal, and then to have three trophies off the back of it, and being from Norway, you're not exactly going to be getting a, a Euros or a World Championship anytime soon. Where there's a slightly better chance with the other two lads, which I think is a bit unfair. But look none of us are surprised it, it's one of them for me just jog on and maybe next season it, it's going to get interesting because they might finally forget about and I don't mean this in a bad way might finally forget about the two lads and say right like let's give it to somebody deserving of, of, of the full season yeah Neil what's your thoughts on it you know with myself I'm not I've no interest really in the Ballon d'Or as I said I think it's a popularity contest I've I've never thought that there was the any sort of great fairness to, towards it. It's very rarely that a defender or a goalkeeper is in that top five, let alone winning it. And if you look at mm. it this time, I think Martinez is probably a 15th. Uh, am I seeing anyone else? Defenders, obviously defending and goalkeepers just don't really yeah. count. Yeah, and as you're saying there, it's a popularity contest. I think this for Messi is like... Uh, you know, one of these lifetime achievement awards literally at this stage mm-hmm. where it becomes, you know, listen, we've given him everything else. He finally got the World Cup and we're going to kind of give it to him off the basis of that. So um, at the end of the day, I guess it's people's opinion. It is an individual, almost like a narcissistic way of doing things where the criteria is just popularity, nothing else. Um, like I would have put a number of the City players in Adam Messi this year and uh, maybe not just Haaland, maybe Rodri. Mm-hmm. Like I thought he was unbelievable this year. Kyle Walker was unbelievable this year. 
Um, but again, defenders, unless you're scoring all the goals or getting all the headlines, you don't really come into the equation. Um, as you say, it might get interesting next year when they actually have to use their brains a little bit to see who's going to win it, and it might be a little bit more diverse. But I wouldn't hold your breath. Um, it'll be probably the last of its kind that you will see now unless they start handing out for Messi for scoring a thousand goals for into Miami or something silly like that. So, uh, yeah, this could be the beginning of the end for it. So, yeah, it might be a bit more interesting when they have a couple more proper players to go for next year. Dave, do you have any interest in it? Does it, it sort of, no. for me, no. if it's never been, when I was a kid, I was like, oh my God, this is the best player maybe in the world or whatever. Uh, but the more you realise what it's all about, then it kind of yeah, means like, nothing. Yeah, like it seemed to have a bit of credibility when FIFA didn't have their hands on it. And I think it was was a French football or world football, whatever the magazine mm. was. And it was very much a, a select group. And they tried their best to give it to the most deserving. And, but once FIFA got their hands on it, and then you heard rumours of clubs would tout it for their players and this, that and the other and there was rumours of Ronaldo and, I'm, and listen, I'm not just saying it because of him but there was rumours that Real Madrid said look, we'll, we'll make sure we get, your, we get your hands on it and this kind of crack and then it became the show between them two and quite clearly there was other people over that given year they're not better than them but they had a better year you know, that yeah. they deserve that Redis and that nod but there's no denying who the two best players in the world are but it just became tit for tat for, year, for, the, for say 10 to 15 years and yeah, it's for the last 15, 20 years. There's no getting away from it and you know about it, but have I sat and, read and watched it? Absolutely not. Yeah, okay. They right. probably got Roy, the, the Bellingham one, they probably got that one right, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, he's probably the yeah. best young player around at the moment or the next best thing. So, ironically, they get one badly wrong and one very right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right, well, well, we'll push on to Eric Ten Hag because tonight they got beaten 3-0 against Newcastle in the Carabao Cup. Both teams made changes and while you see the likes of, I suppose, Liverpool and other teams go on and, and do things, although Arsenal did get beaten tonight, um, there's no form with Manchester United at all. Neil, he must be questioning himself at this stage. It's a big turnaround from last year to where they he's getting a tune out of these players, getting consistency out of these players. And it's not one or two players here. That he's, it's the whole team. Yeah, I, I'd be more concerned the fact that it feels more like a U-turn now, right, doesn't it? I mean, we're talking about Harry Maguire being in the uh, football player's graveyard for over a year, and now all of a sudden he's relying on him. There's an interesting comment about him on the weekend when they pressed him, I don't know if you heard it, about playing Maguire over Varane. And he basically said tactical. And they were like, yeah, but really? And he went, no, no, tactical. Maguire needed to come out with the ball more. I didn't want to leave Varane uh, vulnerable to the press. And I trusted Maguire. And I mean, he hasn't trusted Maguire for a year. And yet there he was on the side. Um, very, very strange. I Look, I said it a while ago. I know that um, he wasn't, a, you know, it was a kind of a stopgap solution at left back. But even weirdness of Amrabat being in there and then on the weekend he left Regalon on the bench um, and then didn't start him in there as well so maybe even Ten Hag is beginning to think do I need to do a U-turn on players it feels a little bit desperate um, and I think it's shown off in the performances and I think you touched on it there when you're playing well like a City or a Liverpool maybe an Arsenal obviously they proved the point tonight but you know, it's a little bit easier to remove three or four players from the core of your team and still get a consistent performance. But what they had from last week, they got a bit of a battering in the derby and then to go out tonight then and try and change it. 
it obviously didn't work. And uh, when do you see United lose back-to-back games in that manner, scoreless uh, at Old Trafford? It's very, very strange. Yeah, Dave, I look, I look at the team and this thing where you hear all these rumours now again and that's, you're always going to hear these rumours, oh, he's too hard on them and he's a disciplinarian. And, well, that's what you should be. But the, as Neil said, you're going back to Harry Maguire. Yes, there's been injuries, but you're going back to Harry Maguire playing centre-back again. You have Johnny Evans in there. Your signings, the players that you bring in, that's what it comes down to. And again, Mason Mount tonight, he actually tried hard tonight. I was looking at the game. He tried hard, but he's miles off it. Um, but you look at the likes of, you know, Anthony and Martial up front, might as well not have been there. They would have been better off playing with 10 men. He hasn't got rid of the dead wood. And when he has the injuries to key players, the dead wood is the answer and it's killing him. Yeah, like, listen, I'm not, I'm not backing him here, by the way, but there was too much dead wood to get rid of. The, he couldn't get rid of it all in one go because then they'd have no team left. Um, there's still a bit to go. Um, it's just getting worrying in terms of whether he's going to be there and then it's going to be Man United 6.0 or 7.0 or whatever bloody manager will be next if, if and when it happens. Um, there's, unfortunately, the squad is in disarray. And yes, some of his signings have been poor and it's quite obvious they've been poor and now he's going back to the to the drawing board with some of the players who he's going to put off to the scrap heap but there's too, there's too many there still but he can't afford to get rid of them when they're only bringing in three and four like they need a massive overhaul um, but unfortunately uh, his success rate with transfers is, is, is as good as who's been there before him for him unfortunately Yeah and I mean Neil you sent down a good uh, quote from Neil Warnock it says I thought when Ten Hag came in first, he was going to be the answer because I thought they needed a disciplinarian in that environment. But I've got to say, I've not enjoyed watching how he's gone about it. The money he spent, people forget. Some of the players, they've spent 60 to 70 million. I wouldn't have had them at Huddersfield. You'd have to agree with him. The, The amount of money that they've played on some players. And these... I've heard people say that these weren't oh they're not these weren't really his first choices these are his second and third choice players you're paying 70 million for a second and third choice player I look at Amrabat and I'm looking at Mason Mount and just over 100 million for the two of them and they wouldn't go in for Declan Rice a Declan Rice who has played really really well for uh, West Ham last year knows the league inside out is established English international, whatever that means, but you know what I mean. He he's a player who is sturdy and consistent, and they so they could have went for that kind of player if they really wanted to. Yeah, and I mean it is a mismanagement of money, Roy. But as you say, it's a mismanagement by the manager. Like you feel that they were his type of players. Like Martinez, he wanted him in the back line. Anthony, he had worked with them before, um, and then Amrabat, you know, paper. Jesus, if you goalkeeper, yeah. But you look at Amrabat and you look at Mason Mountroy. I mean, they were linked to a couple of other teams, not less uh, Liverpool were on, were on about Amrabat there for a while. Mason Mount, it looked like Liverpool flirted with him at the end of last season. Um, now, why he went to choose United over Liverpool, if the, if the offer was there, I don't know. But um, they were ones where you would have thought on paper this time last year, yeah, he could be a clever signing because he's a lot more to give. But they seem to be going into a system, going into a team, that's really, really struggling. And it's it's his players, the ones he's brought in, 
Um, like Highland looks a player to me as in when I look, when I watch him play, he plays with a desire and an effort. You think he's going to get something out of? But I, then there was the funny quote on the weekend: he's a double oh seven, no goals, no assists, seven games, and you're thinking to yourself, how the hell? Can he sign another one of these? Anthony has been an, an incredible letdown. For what was he eighty million? Mm-hmm. Like how do you spend eighty million and you're getting nothing now with this guy? You're not getting goals. You're not getting assists. He should be absolutely ripping the place up with a price tag like that. Um, I don't know if it's just the Premier League now where all these bloated um, kind of transfer fees and wages when an eighty million pound player now was a twenty million pound player five years ago and maybe it wasn't that big a deal. But when you're United in your top three or four main transfers, say Casemiro, Anthony, um, and and Amrabat uh, aren't hitting the ground running, you're in big, big trouble. And not even one of them is setting the place on fire. So I'd say the people at Old Trafford at the moment are pulling their hair out thinking, what are we going to do? Do we stick or twist? And I have to say, Roy, my biggest fear is that by the time Liverpool play Man United in December, he's going to be gone. We're not going to get the chance to beat him. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, Neil. I wouldn't say that. I know, it's probably because that squad will still be there. But uh, he might be. Yeah, well, see, this you is it. Want, you, you don't want to get that first manager in. The other one that comes in after him and they play like brilliant yeah. for like kind of 90 minutes, maybe two games. Well, and, then, I, and I'm really not saying this to rip in, but we've been waiting for that for four or five managers. Like, mm-hmm. this is the great thing. I don't listen to... Uh, whenever they lose anymore I don't listen to it afterwards because it's boring because you know Neville's going to go on about the club and he's right in the club but this this week I did listen to it because I said right it's been a while I'll see what's different and obviously Carragher was trying to look at Ten Hag and and the field and then Neville of course was still going back to the club but they were both right but it's just there's nothing different in what they're saying and I'm not trying to say let's move on but it, there is nothing much different that you can say about them at the moment because of the just the shit show that they are from the top to the bottom and I'm not saying that Ten Hag is, uh, Ten Hag deserves his criticism absolutely but where is the structure where is the like you know there's a set of you can see with clubs who are being run well and I'm going to say it because I said it last year and I'm sticking to it because they weren't doing well, guess what? Spurs were a shit-run club. They weren't, and they never were. They, they they live within their means, and now look at them. He's after getting the right guy with the right attitude, and all of a sudden, Spurs are a bloody good club again, even though they always were. They just don't overspend. They they That's that's how much he can afford, and that's what they do. They're, they don't do the £150 million, But then again, if they can stay up near the top of the table, trust me, they will be there. But you can see what Spurs always try and do whether you like it or not. Obviously, fans don't like it because all they want is second trophies, and I get that. But Spurs, if they do that, they could sell their soul and end up drifting away like a Leicester and everyone else because they can't afford to do what the other big boys do. But United can and still have been getting away with it. There was record numbers brought out this week. But the problem the problem I don't think is ever going to go away until until from the top, until the top disappears. So I'm not agreeing with anyone, but... I just don't see an hour of this un- until that changes. Neil, I'd love to see lads. What? Sorry, Roy. I'd love to see what Anthony, the likes of Anthony, Martial, Mount, Casemiro, uh, Rashford, Hoyland. I'd like to see them. You won't see them, but would you love to see what they would do with a guy like Postecoglou, who is a guy that's an on the front foot manager who presses from the front, who plays good ball, plays out from the back, does a little bit of everything. I'd love to see how he go in and do it. How they came out. Madison said it he called his team out pre-season they were winning 2-0 and then they took the foot off gas and he absolutely read them the right act and said the way you played in the second half is the reason why you always finish the way you do you is know it's a 90 minute game and, it's right. and apparently 
Mouse and looked around him and yeah, I think he's right. And it kind of set the tone. When I look and, at when uh, I look at the team though, I'm looking at the team and it hasn't changed that much from last year. And they put in performances last year. They put in uh, some good footballing performances, some battling performances. So what it says to me, Dave, is that these players aren't working as hard. And is it because of something that like the Sancho thing where I'm saying, he's asking, listen, you just, need to, you just need to be working hard here because I'm not happy with this. We need to step it up. We want to, you know, maybe go on and push on and win a league. And there's some people, you know, disgruntled that they might be asked to be worked. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it, it looks quite clear. And then you hear rumours that one or two who obviously his buddies think it's a bit harsh. And of course, you know, um, some of these players probably think, yeah, let's, let's drift away here and we'll get rid of them and then we'll get going again. And it, it does happen. Like I said to you a couple of weeks ago, Lescott said it when they were talking about Mancini. Uh, how can you win the league and get this fella sacked? Mm. You know, players talk about it and I wouldn't be surprised. But I think there is an element, and I didn't. I read an article last year, and I thought it was a bit just sticking the boot in. But there is an element of truth. One or two clubs did switch off last year, and I think that's the ultimate reason why United are in the Champions League spots this year. And now that they've switched themselves back on and got going again, have United really gone backwards? Not maybe not necessarily in where I believe they should be. Yeah, that's a bit harsh because Manchester United have struggled against Brighton, struggled against Knott's Forest, struggled against Copenhagen, struggled against Galatasaray. Mm. These are not teams that were a, a, a problem. It, it has to come down to Manchester United. If if it's the likes of Liverpool they're losing to and the likes of Spurs they're losing to and they're missing out on the top four because of that, I'd agree mm. with you. But I just think that the performances are so well below par from everyone yeah. that there is something there's something going on in there that's really sort of disgruntled everything but, they are, but they're not far off where they were last year realistically they actually aren't it's just there is a couple who have switched on as well like they're probably only a couple of points off where they probably could and should be mm. because they're not as good as well as far as Arsenal City and Liverpool end of story and even Villa Villa since January 1st are the third best team in the league so there's five teams better than them and then you've got Newcastle so there's six teams better so they're probably one place worse off where they could and should be in my opinion. Now, I'm not defending Bernard because it's a quite clearly on the pitch as well as off the pitch, it's a mess. But it looks like there's only going to be one winner and it's going to be the player power and the club will just, yeah, let's go and do it again. And as you, you know, said, as you said, you've heard that with Moyes, you've heard that with Van Gaal, you've definitely heard that with Mourinho yeah. and Solskjaer. It's a, very, it's a very sort of consistent team. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like that second right. season syndrome. They give it a go. Oh, we don't like him. You know, they they, they they seem to be happy to play as Man United players, but they don't actually want to really be Man United players. They're quite happy to have the badge on, the, on their chest, but they don't really want to put the shift in. That's what it looks like after a, after a season, season and a half. Mm. It's worrying, Roy, that uh, like Mourinho went in there and couldn't sort them out. And then you have Ten Hag, who's meant to be his one, except a disciplinarian. He can't seem to sort out and get a 90-minute consistent for a number of games. And I'm actually just looking, just as a side note here, I'm looking at the state of that Newcastle team that went on that field tonight and beat them 3-0, right? Like, my God, Willock, Target and Longstaff were in the midfield. Joe Linton, Gordon and Matt Ritchie up top. Their back line is completely changed. Hall, dummy. Who is that guy? Kraft, Livramento. Like, He's a that's player. a team that just went to Old Trafford and Beaches. Well, that's a team that went to Old Trafford and Beaches 3-0. 
that's unforgivable. Nah, it's not really down there. They have some shite out there as well, Manchester United. They had Martial out there playing football. They had Anthony playing football. They have Mason Mount playing in there. They've got Harry Maguire playing in, in, in centre-back uh, alongside Lindelof, who's okay. But these are Manchester United's supposed second string team as well so it's not much more it's just you look at those players you, I mean, Anthony up front is actually a, 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 or Anthony Gordon good player and causes hassle you can see the work rate out of those players and the lack of work rate out of the Manchester United players and what they want That's to do is they want to try and play football but not work hard so when they lose the ball maybe one or two are chasing the ball and the rest are kind of sauntering around. It's You can see that energy isn't there. Isn't that what we were saying about when you watch the Man United Man City game the weekend, they were talking about Rashford, the way he challenges back. Mm. And they were, you know, even they weren't getting stuck into him, but they were saying when United turn over the ball, there was a, there was one there with Eriksen, I think he let Rodri shoot. He literally let him just run to five, ten yards, get the shot off, which led, I think, to the second goal, whatever it was. Mm. Um, but it's unbelievable that they're getting away with this. So you have a guy like Mourinho coming in there telling there's an issue and then he can't fix it and he gets moved out and now you're Ten Hag who's a discipline early and, and he Rania tries to make it well. Yeah, Ranick. Well, Ranick was damning. Well, he was an yeah. idiot, you know? Yeah, Ranick was a damning verdict, I thought. He was the first one really to come out and go, listen, there's something rotten here to the very core. Yeah, it was it's, it's complete truth. They couldn't get rid of him quick enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it'll be it'll be a hell of an interesting book, anyhow. Whenever it all comes out, and we f- figure out what the hell's <laughs> going on, uh, bestseller. Well, well, no let, well, let's hope let's hope Roy when it comes out in two thousand and forty five, and they've ten more years. <laughs> let's hope the real deal comes out, right? <laughs> well, in two thousand and thirty five, we'll know the winners uh, of the Saudi Arabian <laughs> World Cup. Uh, Dave, oh, what a segue. Yeah, Dave, <laughs> it looks like Australia, after bowing out, it's all Saudi Arabia's and we're going to have another World Cup in the Middle East. Quite possibly, and most likely, another Winter World Cup. Oh, yeah, even better. Even better. Um, yeah, because when them, whoever it was that came out from Australia mentioned the fact that they were... Um, going to be hosting the Asian Cup and then they're eyeing up the FIFA Club World Cup in 2029 I went yeah that's what you've been told to say we'll give you that now Get back, go back into the into the shadows and uh, we need to give it to Saudi Arabia you know uh, look the uh, Winter World Cup fiasco it, it's a disaster but they don't care it's all about the money whatever opinion we had of Qatar the exact same thing probably another yeah I don't I don't get it um, they talk about bringing it around the world but you know, um, has a minute like it's it's just one of them. I don't know where to go with it. Um, I'm not surprised uh, the fact that he was sitting with him at the Qatar World Cup. You knew that was coming, and uh, yeah, he's managed to put all the pieces together. And, and I say that's why Infantino had a big strong hand about that. With the whole, we'll give you the Club World Cup, and we, I'll I'll help you with getting the other ones. And uh, yeah, that's the job done. He's been paid off. Yeah, probably most likely they are Neil. It's probably a World Cup that you're kind of won't be too disappointed that Ireland won't get to uh, most likely uh, the way things are going but wouldn't anyhow but uh, it's not somewhere you'd really want to be going is it? No I mean look it's it's Qatar Mark too, really isn't it now but bear in mind Qatar's put on a good World Cup and the entertainment value was really good but it's the whole crap surrounding it like it's clearly boss it's clearly something that's preempted um, you know the Saudis were on the scene and the whole Qatari scenario Saudi football now is like, you know, the Chinese, the MLS, the decade before it. 
they're the ones up and coming. They spent the money on Ronaldo and every other man and his dog that's any sort of professional. So they're really going for it with both hands. And the best way to grow their brand is to secure a World Cup. I would say there was an amazing amount of zeros thrown out to get it. Um, so it's going to be a very wealthy and very well-funded World Cup. And then we'll have the moral and social outrage. They're already going on about them, you know, establishing their human rights record between now and then, etc. It'll be falling deaf ears and then a year before everyone will have a hissy fit and, you know, money will silence most of them and then we'll just be jogging on. Beckham will be the ambassador and look, God knows, but what it's rinse and repeat. What will the winner have to wear when he's lifting the trophy this time? That's what's <laughs> going to be interesting. I think it's an oil rig on your head you have to wear this time. <laughs> yeah, God knows. <laughs> Um, but it's money it's money Ryan it stinks and it's FIFA to the core if you watch that documentary it's absolutely powerful of course you could see this a mile away yeah and when you look at uh, Neil when you look at the league that's out there and as you said uh, off air I mean I think it was 646 for the the defeat that Stephen Gerrard and, and Jordan Henderson had the other day who were watching the game it's it's all about money really over there isn't it yeah, I mean, they're, they're growing a brand and they don't really care in what manner that it's done. But I don't know for any of you that watched the kind of the Beckham documentary there, they were showing the mm. first signs of Beckham going over to America and the state of the pitches and like, you know, Chicago Bulls emblems were in the middle of the, or, uh, or Bear emblems, you say, were in the middle of the field where they were playing their games and it didn't even look like a football pitch. He was real dismayed. I guarantee you behind the scenes, that's what your Hendersons, your Gerrards, Ronaldos are seeing over there. There's no way infrastructurally that the Saudi League is ready to, to take that kind of influx of players. It wouldn't have a support network of fans. And I think there was less than a thousand there to watch Gerrard's last game uh, where they were beaten. And they're already calling for his head after a handful of games. And it's just... You know the way is. I, I, I've no interest. I literally have less than zero interest in it. Other than it pops up and I thought it was interesting that there's less than yeah. a thousand people at the game, even though they've paid gazillions to get this type of brand of player on the field. They've basically robbed the Premier League and pillaged every league in Europe to bring them over to sit in front of a thousand people and play a game of ball and the heat. Great. So I hope their brand fails. I've no time for it. And uh, I guess for those guys that went over, I hope the money was worth it. Yeah. Okay, right. We'll leave that there. I think we've uh, we're 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 firmly in the same corner on that one. Uh, not too <laughs> not too bothered on that one. Um, what actually I might just ask you is, what do you think about the? There's a joint effort for the European Championships, which Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland have been successful in. There is also a World Cup, which next World Cup I think is Mexico States and. Canada and the one after that I think is Portugal, Spain and Morocco Dave what's your feeling on these multi-country bids? I suppose economically it probably makes sense because of the way FIFA come in and they take over and they take all the money and then disappear so I suppose when all these countries are putting in all this infrastructure and the way the world is at the minute it probably does make sense and I suppose with World Cups when there's 40 What's the, how many is it? Is it 46? 48. I think it's 46, 48. Yeah, so 48. You know, three of them host, probably not the worst thing in the world, and it's fairly well spread. Like, you know, America, a rich country as it is, and they're going to get serious eyeballs and, and bums on seats. It's going to be probably the, the highest attended. Even if it was back down to 32, it would probably be the highest attended because mm. of the size of some of the grounds. 
but I think financially it makes perfect sense. Like Australia pulled out a Commonwealth Games and I'd say that was another reason why they weren't going to go for the World Cup either at, at the same time. It wasn't just because they were paid off. I'm sure it probably did help. But, um, you know, it, this shit's expensive and obviously that's where the likes of your Qatars and Saudi Arabia's coming on. Five teams uh, hosting it now is going to get messy because I think there's a guaranteed two spots but that doesn't mean that the other three are going to qualify and who is it guaranteed two? So uh, that's where it's going to get messy. Two, three at a push, I'd allow, I wouldn't have an issue with. Um, and especially when you've got people like Canada, America and Mexico, they're going to qualify anyway from that jurisdiction or whatever you call it, the association, I wouldn't have, I the size, the size of those, I mean, they're at the continent. America is a continent. The size yeah. of Canada. And then for the, the travel mm. from, I don't know, maybe Canada to, to Mexico for your next game, uh, I don't know, yeah, ma- maybe in the knockouts. Shit. I would imagine the draws, I'd say, after, yeah, after the group stages, I'd say there will be a bit of traveling. But I'd be shocked if you're playing up in northern Canada and then you're all the way down in Mexico and you're in your second game of the group. I, I doubt if they're going to be that uh, cruel. But yeah. I do understand that side of it as well. But it sure was like that Euros there that was just gone. It was all over Europe. You could say the same thing. It was a bit silly. But look, I, I understand why you can and could be done. And it kind of takes a few bucks and keeps people happy. But um, yeah, when it gets starts getting beyond two, it could get messy. But yeah, like the five for the Euros now. Uh, yeah, like I, I'm nervous for Ireland because you're kind of hoping somehow they'd look out and if there's a draw between the five teams who are the top two that are guaranteed, you hope that's the only, because I'd be nervous that Ireland are going to be the only ones who don't make it the way things are going, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Neil, if Ireland don't qualify, could you give a shit? Uh, no. And I, I'll say, right, you know what, what a great opportunity to get a couple of games in Ireland and watch a World Cup game in Ireland, but there would be nothing like watching an Irish World Cup game in Ireland. I mean, Oh, please God, it would just be an, an absolute disaster not to have us in the competition where we're hosting. I mean, has anyone ever, I know they always get an automatic buy, um, but a very, very depressing scenario. They said there, imagine we were the only one out of everybody that wasn't actually automatically qualified or didn't get there off our own bat. So I don't know, let's hope, you know, we could pull a rabbit out of the hat in some way or form. But no, if it was on my own doorstep and we weren't there, if I get land tickets maybe for the semi-finals, finals, yeah. Other than that, not really. Yeah, the likelihood are you traveling is... Into the, are you travelling into Aviva Roy to watch Poland? New Zealand in two weeks' time. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not even travelling in for that and I've got tickets. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, it has to capture the imagination, Roy. And, you know, you'd, you'd want... I think you could get something out of Ireland if we housed in our own backyard, but as in, and we were a host and we were in it, so... That would be the ultimate and it'd be completely the opposite for me if we didn't make it and it's in your backyard, it'd be a disaster. Well, in that qualifying campaign, we will not only be wearing our Ireland jerseys, we'd be wearing our England, Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales jerseys, hoping that they they all nearly get through, uh, even if we were to miss out on it. Okay, right, we're going to leave it there. And Dave and Neil, thanks very much. Thanks very much for you for listening and we're going to talk to you next week.